Well, three generations there, right? All right, three generations. You couldn't tell which one was which generation either, could you? Amen. That's how, fellas, you're supposed to, that's how you're supposed to do it with the ladies, all right? I'm trying to give you some lessons here, all right? That was great. They did a fabulous job, didn't they? Well, I'll tell you what, what an amazing thing, three generations standing at the pulpit singing for the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Well, I'll tell you what, now that's reward. That's reward right there. Amen. That's good stuff right there. All right, take your Bible, turn over to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 14, Secrets of Successful Living. We've been dealing with that topic or subject. Uh, tonight we're going to start another lesson within that topic. It's going to be called Our Best for the Lord Jesus. And uh, we're going to talk about our best for the Lord. And so we want to look at that tonight, starting tonight. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. That's where we're going to start. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at me, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. She broke the box and poured it on his head. There were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. They murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burning. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you now for another opportunity to glean and grow from your word. We thank you for the group that has gathered today. Lord, in our Christian lives, we need encouraged and we need instructed. Lord, we need inspired at times to continue to live our lives in a way that pleases you. Lord, before us is a tremendous example of someone that gave her best. Lord, may we always give our best. Lord, tonight, bless us and encourage us as we seek to bring glory and honor to you. You're so worthy of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Simon the leper, it says. It says, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. You know, we're really, not, we're really not sure who he is, are we? The Bible doesn't really tell us his name. He just tells us simply here that it says Simon the leper. We don't know his last name. We don't know really what his background is outside of his first name. We don't understand who he really is or what he's all about. We can't point to him at other places in the scriptures. But what we do know is that at some point, or at least... At some point, he was a leper, if not now. They were in Simon the leper's house, it says. And again, I guess it's possible that he was one of those lepers that at one point in his life uh, was healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Uh, someone says, well, he's a leper now. I'm not sure that he's a leper because he would have been isolated or from colonized as a result of that leprosy. Somehow, some way, it appears that the Lord Jesus Christ had done a miracle in his body and in his life, and now we find him in his own house. And here, he has invited the Lord Jesus Christ and others to it. You got to believe that if he did that, he probably was saying, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. I appreciate all that you did for me. I'm so glad you came by that day and cleansed me and healed me. There came a woman, the Bible says. The Bible in this particular passage does not identify the woman in the passage. She does, it doesn't do that. Now again, some have connected this particular event in the book of Mark with John chapter 12, verse 3, making them one and the same event. Listen, whatever, wherever you land on it, that's okay. Whether it is or isn't, I don't know that it really matters that awfully much. But what I do know is this. There came a woman. And she's going to make a big impact in the place. It's a very touching story, isn't it? It would appear that everything happened without warning. That it just seemed to happen. I mean, the woman moves toward the Lord Jesus Christ. She's holding in her hands a very beautiful alabaster box which contains a a very precious and very delicately perfumed ointment. Some have said that this particular ointment was an ointment uh, uh, that was saved by young ladies who at one point would take that alabaster box of ointment that they had saved in their youthfulness and they run into or ultimately meet the man they're going to marry and that alabaster box of ointment would be broken at the feet of that man and they would show their, basically their dedication to him, their love for him that way. I don't know. But that's, some believe that that's exactly what they would do. In this particular case, I'm not sure whether that was the case or not, but what I do know is, is that she had this precious, delicately perfumed ointment, and to the surprise of everybody that was in the room that day, she broke the box, poured the content over the head of the Lord Jesus Christ, and anointed him with it. The Bible places the amount of that ointment. It claims that there are 300 pence, it says. It's 300 pence of ointment. Now, it appears to us from what we can tell in Scripture that a pence basically was a day's wage, which which meant that this particular ointment that she did spend on the Lord Jesus Christ probably accounted to or added up to approximately one year's wages almost. Uh, That seems like quite a bit of money, right? Unless you're a member of Community Baptist Temple and only work the jobs we do. Right? Everybody's broke, right? Okay. It took you a while to get what I was saying, didn't it? Okay. <clears throat> you guys, none of you still, you're not here. You're checked out on me here. We'll get you back in. We'll grill you in here in a minute, all right? Maybe I'll jump up and down on top the pulpit to get your attention. I don't know. 300 pence. Man, I mean to tell you, if a day's wage was a pence, then 300 of those adds up to quite a bit of money. And of course, such an act. I mean, that couldn't go unnoticed, nor could it go overlooked, could it? Matter of fact, it would be dissected and unfortunately even despised by some of the guests. Sadly, the conclusion that they appeared to have come to was 
that she basically had just wasted a boatload of money, right? And that really she could have certainly spent it more wisely on the poor and the needy. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? We're going to find that we're always going to have the poor with us. Whether we adopt socialism in America or not, we will always have the poor with us. You hear what I said? Because the Bible says we'll always have the poor with us. I don't care what politicians say, there will always be poor with us. Because that's what God says. You cannot abolish, you cannot abolish or get rid of poor people. They'll always be there. And probably, as I said, all of you will still be there. <clears throat> okay. Somebody says, I, I'm offended by that. Not around here. We like to think we're poor, right? The, le- the more poor we are, the less we have to give. Amen? <laughs> you guys are really not very fun tonight. I, maybe I'm not being fun tonight. I'm trying to be lighthearted. You guys are taking me too serious here. As they say in America, lighten up. <clears throat> Come on now. <laughs> this is rough. I thought this was going to be fun tonight. Okay, um, The passage goes on to describe the way in which those who disregarded or disagreed with her, I should say, um, they disagreed with her act of devotion, obviously. And so it goes on to tell us how they responded. Let's look how they responded. Look look in the passage here, chapter 14. Here she is. She pours it on his head. Verse 4, and there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence. And have been given to the poor, and they what? They murmured against her. That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that a great word, murmur? Murmured? I don't know about you, but it's interesting. I looked it up because I really wanted to understand it. And so I looked it up in Webster's 1828. I like to use Webster's 1828 because often Webster, in that time period before, you know, it's gotten kind of raked over the coals by modern mankind, In those days, he based a lot, almost all of his definitions out of the biblical definition. He kind of dug into the Word of God. And you'll find many times he'll define a word and he'll point to Scripture and say, this is how it's used. And he'll show you a Scripture spot for that. That's kind of awesome. I like that. Well, anyway, he talks about murmur, okay? And he says the word means a complaint half suppressed or uttered in a low, muttering voice. I don't know about you, but I I can almost hear that. Can't you hear that? <clears throat> Stupid little the preacher's driving me nuts today. He's just driving me crazy. I just don't understand what he's doing. He's talking all that stuff. Making fun of what I'm making. Everything. Murmur, murmur, murmuring. He goes, it goes on to say to grumble, to complain, to utter complaints in a low, half-articulated voice, to utter sullen discontent. He goes on to clarify uh, further by saying this. He goes on to say, to make a low, continued noise like the hum of bees. Have you ever been somewhere and you're sitting out eating lunch or dinner and you just hear this hum? And you know they're around. You're looking for them. And I don't know about you, but I, I mean, years ago, I still remember my brother. My brother was like, I mean, he was like, He was crazy. I mean, out of his mind. 
when it came to bees and bugs that would fly around. But bees, wasps, hornets, I mean, he loses them. I remember one time we were out shooting. My dad took us all out shooting, you know, and we're standing out there with a 22 and we're pointing at a target and we're shooting. My brother gets up there to shoot. It's really okay, guys, as long as you take care of it. Don't let the gun do bad things. You're the one in charge. And so anyway, you're holding the gun, and you're pulling the trigger, and here's my brother up there, and next thing you know, he hears this, he starts going. And my dad's like, quit it, stop! And he's like, hit the deck, everybody's on the ground. And he's over there trying to grab my brother's arm and hold it up in the air. He's like, Ed, Ed, Ed! Ed's freaking out, freaking out. You're, we're, we're going through a strip mall, and all of a sudden a bee comes along, and Ed's like, no, no! I'm not joking, it was that bad. I'm only half that bad. But anyway, I, I mean that, you know, just that buzz, that hum. Oh yeah, I didn't know my dad was here, yeah. He remembers that. He remembers all that. It was the best, right dad? It was great, right? Yeah, like a stream of water, like rolling waves, like the wind in the forest. See, that's that undertow, that sound, that constant, that's the murmuring. So when we think about murmuring, it's easy for us to understand what it means when we think about that. It's always with us. It's just always under. We can't really put our finger on it. We don't know exactly what's being said. We just know things are being said. And it's just that. Murmuring. That's what the Bible says they did. So here they are gathered in this wonderful event. They're having this dinner. I mean, Simon the leper is excited to have Jesus and the disciples around. And then, I mean, he's he's just excited and he's thankful that what the Lord did in his life. And he's just, you know, looking forward to this. And all of a sudden, this woman comes along and breaks this alabaster box and, and anoints the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, people are just, they're losing their minds. They begin to murmur. What are they murmuring about? Well, we saw what they were murmuring about. Earlier in verse 4, it, it, it makes it very clear that, that, that they felt that it was a waste of ointment. they thinking, well, it could be sold and it could have been given to the poor. And they're murmuring and murmuring. Jesus would go on to say that she had done what she could. She hadn't violated scripture or departed from the old paths. I mean, I mean, she wasn't breaking some moral code or consciously seeking attention. That's not what she was doing. She was simply doing what she could. If I recall correctly, and I'm sure you could probably recall with me, it wasn't the first time that God's people were guilty of murmuring and complaining, was it? Over in the book of Exodus, let's look over there real quick. Exodus chapter 16. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 16. Do you, do you realize, and let, me, let me just say this. I'm just going to throw it out there. Do what you want with it. You know, churches usually aren't wrecked and ruined by somebody that stands up and goes, I don't agree with the pastor. I don't like what doctrine he's preaching. I don't agree with the standards at the church. I don't like this person, and I don't like that person. Do you know that that's not usually what separates and divides and destroys churches? Can I tell you what does? 
You know, oh, I, I'm not, I don't mean to, you know, I'm not trying to gossip or anything. I'm just trying to, you know, would you pray for somebody? And did you hear what they're going to do with this? That's what destroys churches. Because you know what that does? Can I tell you this? What that does is this. You know what they're thinking? You don't know what they're thinking, do you? If that one's got a complex, you know what he thinks? They're talking about it. If that one over there is insecure, you know what he thinks? What, are they making fun of my tie? (laughs) And I know I just did something wrong the other day. Do they know about it and nobody else, but that they're talking about it right now? See, what I'm saying is, is that's why it creates so many problems, because then it's all in the heads of people. Nobody really knows what's being said 100%, except those that are murmuring. The only problem is, is others around them also see it, and some people are just misunderstanding what's being said, because it's not really very clear. It's just a constant undertow of... And it's very, very disturbing, and it's also annoying. Notice what it says in Exodus 16 too. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now we know they'd just come out of Egypt, right? God had supernaturally delivered them. God was working in a mighty way in their lives. And now they're murmuring against God's man and his spokesman. By the way, does anybody know, I'm just going to throw this out because... I want to clarify this. I just want everyone to understand whether you're in business, whether you're in the church, no matter what you're doing, that it's okay to do this. Can anybody tell me who Aaron was? He was Moses' what? So you mean it'd be all right for my brother to come on staff here? Would it be all right for your brother to be partner in your business? There's nothing wrong with family working together. By the way, you might do well to win your brother and have him join your bus route. It might be a good thing for you to win your sister and say, hey, why don't you help me in Sunday school class? You get where I'm going with that? I think it's great to work with family, don't you? Do you know what I find with most Baptists? They wish their families were involved. But we've got to work at our families getting involved in the ministry. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good business. You need to get your family involved in the ministry business. And if you've got a business and you can trust your family, hire them. What's wrong with that? Get them on board. If you train them up, you at least know what you're going to get, right? Man, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, by the way, last time I checked, if we're Christians, then we're all part of the same family anyway. So see, you're my brothers and sisters. So if I don't work with a brother or sister in the ministry, I don't work with anybody. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, we are are brothers and sisters. So if you're going to be effective in ministry, you better get along with your brothers and sisters then. Because they're the only ones you have to work with. I'm just throwing some things out there because I think sometimes we misunderstand this isn't just people I deal with. These are brothers and sisters. Right. Amen. You know what? You got brothers and sisters because if you don't, you're never going to work with anybody because the churches are made up of 
Christians. We got to work together. Come on now, let's get it done. Now, notice what he goes on to say. It says, he's basically, um, it's hard to believe, isn't it, how they were murmuring already right after they got out of Egypt, isn't it? After God did that super miraculous work. Now watch this, 16.3, the next verse. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This is great, isn't it? I don't know about you, but how ironic is this passage? We're talking about people that have been enslaved for 430 years. We're talking about people who, if I recall correctly, um, they were being expected to work like dogs. If I'm not, if I'm not incorrect, they probably did not have the food they really needed. They, they could have certainly used a lot more food, a lot more clothing. They could have certainly used a lot more rest. But when they get out here in the wilderness all of a sudden and things get a little bit tough, for some reason, Egypt looks real good to them now. Remember how it was back there in Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots? That's implying that they had all this meat to eat. It was so delicious. It was so wonderful. And when we did eat bread to the full, oh, it was like a feast. It was like Thanksgiving every day. Okay. But here we are now. You brought us out here to kill us, to starve us to death, Moses. In the vernacular of today, they'd say, Loser. The truth is, is that Moses and Aaron were simply instruments that God used to guide the nation. Therefore, they would go on to point out that God viewed their murmurings as being directed toward him. They're saying, wait a second. It's, you're going to have to understand, it's not us you're really murmuring against. It's God. Moses and Aaron are like, hey, wait, who are we that you murmur against us? I mean, we're nobody. We're just simply messengers. We're only following the Lord. It's not like we make all the rules or, or decide the decisions or make all the direction. No, it's God who points the way. We're simply his hands, his feet, and his voice. Because in Exodus 16, 7, they say that. In the morning, then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? I mean, these are two men of God that honestly don't think that much of themselves, but others think they do. You know, you've never thought somebody thought they were all that, do you? And we find out later they really didn't think that? Can I give you a piece of advice? If you think somebody thinks they're all that, but nobody else seems to think they think they're all that, then it's probably you that's thinking wrong about all that. You better. I don't never be able to say it like that again. You know what I'm saying? If you're the only one that thinks that about them, then guess what? It's probably you that's thinking wrong. And you know what? There were a group of people, not everybody, a group of people that were murmuring against Moses and Aaron that thought they thought they knew everything and that they thought they were the only ones that could lead and direct the nation. And the truth was they're saying, it's not us. We're doing nothing. Why in the world are you murmuring against us? We're nobody. Just simply following what he's telling us to tell you. 
So Jesus responds to those misguided, misguided observations and, and those unnecessary criticisms and complaints. And in Mark chapter 14, he makes it very clear. Look at verses 6. Now go back to Mark chapter 14 because he's going to deal with those that have murmured against this young woman. Notice what he says in Mark 14, 6 through 8. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will do, excuse me, whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She's come aforehand to anoint my body for, for, to the burying. See, Jesus probably observed how uncomfortable this woman had become as a result of the criticism. She's listening to the murmuring and she's, she's hearing un, the, un, under their breath that they're complaining about what she's doing. And I'm sure that this woman, being very insecure at this point, starts to get a little fidgety and kind of looks around kind of like uncomfortably. What's going on? I hope I didn't, I'm messing everything up. What's going on? And Jesus stops and Jesus says, hey, let her alone. It's interesting how Jesus would not defend himself in most cases but would stand up for this woman. I believe we learn a valuable lesson here. The Lord would rather we stand up for others than ourselves. We live in a society where everything's about, no, you will not. Listen, I pay good money to eat here. You treat me with respect. I can't believe how lousy of a waiter or a waitress you are. Of course I'm going to say something about the food. I pay good money to come here. Listen, I didn't say you couldn't say something about the food, but if you say it that way, my friend, you aren't a very good Christian testimony at all. And all I'm saying is it's too often we're so quick to defend ourselves when God would say, you know what, I'd rather you take it on the chin. I'd rather you be willing to be defrauded. I'd rather you be willing to take that hit and say, you know what, it's okay. I know where I'm going to spend eternity, and I know who I am in Jesus Christ. I'm not basing my, my, my uh, uh, value on what you believe or think about me, so I'm good to go. Let me just go ahead and defend somebody that's weaker than me. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we ought to do. He says, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Why in the world, he says, are you bent on making her life miserable? She's done nothing wrong. Quite the contrary. She's wrought a good work on me. I wonder, have you ever given your best to the master? Maybe the best of your time, your talent, or your treasures, only to be criticized by your family, your friends? Or the world. You know what I mean? I mean, you give to missions, right? You give to the building fund. Or you, you just simply give God his, his due, his tithes. And folks accuse you of being unrealistic, wasteful, and irresponsible with your finances. It's going to give so much money to that church. What a waste. You, you could have bought your, your poor child a new pair of shoes. You could have bought some better school clothes or provided a nicer car for the wife or the family. You could have given it to United Way or some other needy organization. But church, are you kidding me? The ministry, why would you waste your money? You ever had anybody act that way? Maybe not say it quite as drastically or as dramatically as I just did, but you know they're thinking it. 
What a waste, they think. Jesus isn't on earth, but he's represented through the church. Do you realize every time you give your best to this house, this church, you're giving your best to Jesus? And you know what? There are going to be people that are going to murmur and complain about that. Do you know the government's trying, and and right now we're very fortunate, we got a president that's not trying to take away our tax-exempt status. But just prior to him being elected, the one who thought she was going to get into office had made a vow to make sure we did lose it. And I promise you this, if certain entities get into the White House, we will lose our tax-exempt statuses. You say, you're not supposed to be political. I'm not, I mean practical. That has nothing to do with politics. I promise you, you better make sure who you vote for next year because it will affect the future of your children and it will affect the future of your church and your ability to witness on the behalf of Christ without getting locked up and thrown in jail. That's just the reality of life we live with today. Somebody gets up and says, I'm part of the the Jewish anti-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-bl
for a memorial over. So what do we learn? Now here's the real message, and we've got about three minutes. Three things. It won't be three minutes, but it won't be too long. One, much of what we spend our time and money on is soon forgotten. But that which is spent on the Lord will be remembered always. You've got to keep that in mind. Much of what we spend our time and money on is soon forgotten, but that which is spent on the Lord will be remembered always. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Oh, he'll remember it. Number two, here's another thing we learn. Don't allow the criticism of a few to discourage you from giving your best to God and others. Can I tell you that every time you get out front, someone's behind you kicking you? But as long as they're kicking you in the butt, you know that you're out front. Now listen, I'm telling you, you can't do anything good for God without somebody not liking it. It's just the way life is. Because if somebody, it doesn't matter. You say, well, how can they not like doing, you're doing something good or God blessing or God meeting needs. Okay, let somebody be successful in renting others to Christ and somebody's going to come along and go, I want, they got to be doing something wrong. Because I'm not seeing so safe like that and I know I'm doing it right. What's, I don't know what they're doing. They got some preachers, uh, see some preacher that God's blessed and they say things like, he's got to be compromising. Can't grow church anymore like that unless you're compromising. Must be throwing his Bible out the window. He's got to be getting rid of his standards. You know what I'm saying? That's how it goes. By the way, if you're a good parent, your children turn out for the Lord, you're lucky. It's all luck. You got good kids. You're lucky. Am I wrong or right? Listen to me. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what you do. If you do it well, somebody's going to complain. Somebody's going to somehow try to complain about it, murmur about it. Somebody's in the background going, there's got to be something to this. Something's not right. And this one always gets me. Boy, they look like a perfect couple. But you know it can't be true because everybody has their problems. You know what I mean? You're not even laughing, so I know you're talking about it. Come on, guys. At least pretend that you're not that person. Finally, number three. Never lose sight of or forget who you're really spending your best on. Jesus. Amen. You better be careful with that one. Amen. I'm going to tell you something, boy. I'll tell you, that, 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 those attacks when you're trying to serve the Lord, even if you're successful, can really discourage you. Because you're thinking brothers and sisters in Christ ought to be coming alongside and being, being cheerleaders, right? They should be firing you up. They should be happy for you. It's not always the case, is it? Psalm chapter 19, verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my, 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 my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a powerful statement. That goes well beyond just what we kind of 
on the surface read. I mean, when we say things like, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. What we're really saying is, I'm more concerned whether you're pleased with me than anyone else. It's not that I'm not... Not, it's not that I want to battle people. It's not that I want to be in conflict with others. I'm not tr- striving for that. I'm not looking for that. I have no intention whatsoever to create that in my life. And by the way, as pr- Christians, you should never be looking for a fight. And the devil will find you so quick, you don't need to look for nothing. It'll find you. He'll find you. And even then, the Bible says we're to be peacemakers. The Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. And we ought to avoid a conflict at all costs. But then there are times when, unfortunately, we have to stand up and take a stand, but we do it with grace and we do it with love, kindness. Make sure that your real goal is to please God, and, and in doing so, you'll find contentment and satisfaction. See, it seems to me that there are those who are really after the praise of man whether they say they are or not. That's what they're after. The proof is in the pudding. See, if, if we're upset that our efforts go unnoticed or unrecognized by others, then we're really looking to them for approval instead of God. That's all there is to it. We can go ahead and talk it all day long. But talk's cheap. I just want to encourage you, be careful that you don't find yourself wanting people to praise you. Wanting people to pat you on the back. Wanting people to tell you, good job. Man, it's so, I'm not saying it's wrong to give honor where honor is due. I think that's important. I, I think we need to do a better job of that around here. And I, I want to put people on this stage that finished discipleship. I want people on this stage that have gone through certain classes and have made a commitment and devoted themselves to it and followed through. I think it's good because not only does it encourage them for all the hard work they put in, but it encourages others and say, I want to do the same. It doesn't hurt. However, if that's what you're doing things for and it's not really the Lord, then don't deceive yourself. You aren't right with God. No matter how much you do for Jesus, if it is for a pat on the back, if it is for some kind of recognition, some kind of acceptance, some kind of favor, you're trying to, not favor in the sense that you want them to do for you, but that you just want to find favor in the eyes of others. If that's what you're seeking, if that's where you find your pleasure, that's where you find your fulfillment, that's where satisfaction is derived and in others recognizing your efforts and your, your willingness to serve, you've missed the whole point. You missed it. And by the way, I can guarantee you this. It won't be long you'll be bitter. It won't be long you'll be angry. It won't be long you'll be gone. What's your motive for doing what you do for God? What's your motive? Is it to be a servant? Or is it to be self-serving? The alabaster box and the ointment were worth a considerable amount of money. But what she, I mean, what a significant act. What did it signify even? Well, it signified that she was giving her very best to the Lord. 
that she was giving her all to Jesus. When she broke that alabaster box and poured out that precious spikenard, she was saying, in in effect, she was saying this, Take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be even only all for thee. May this be our prayer as we serve the omnipotent God and creator of all the universe. May it be simply to give our all our best. And in doing so, it be all we need to have his approval. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just this time we've had, a simple time around the word of God. Be glorified in it. Lord, may you help us to be sensitive to our personal needs spiritually that we would ensure that our motives are correct always, that like this woman, we are willing to give our very best to you. And although others may not understand that, some may even murmur and complain about our giving our best, We're just going to do it because in the long run, we do it for you anyway. We don't do it for the approval of mankind. We do it for you. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and redeemer. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As the music plays.